Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. Today it's number 43. And uh, before we start, I have a few announcements to make. Uh, the first announcement, this coming Monday, it's not regular schedule, because it's Erev Tisha B'Av. The ninth day of Av, it's the evening. The fast begins about 8, 8.05. You check the calendars. And uh, we're going to pray Arvit in Bet Gavriel and 108 Street, corner of 66. And uh, right after that, I'm giving the lecture, which is the event of the night. And then the following day, check the flyers there. There is, I think, six or seven speakers all day. Plus, they're showing a movie. It will be easier on a fast. When you keep your mind busy, time is running faster. This is for this coming Monday, the schedule. One more announcement. As you know, we renovated my whole website. It looks better now. It runs better. And there is few features there that you have to get used to. One of them is events. On the top in a menu, you have events, which means you have a calendar there. The calendar shows all the lectures coming in the next few months in advance. I already have September lectures there posted. So, which give you time to plan if you're in, you're not in, whatever. So basically, you can see the, the address over there and the time and the lectures where they take place. Not, not all the lectures I post there, because some lectures is a close event, like families or group for friends, then I don't post them. So you're gonna see some nights are, don't have any, any, any lecture announced. But every lecture that is announced, means it's open for the public. It can just show up and send people. Uh, the third, me the third uh, message is that you know that uh, my whole uh, entire filming process changed. It used to be that it used to come to Torah anytime, and about a week after, it used to come to my website. Now it's the other way around. Now the lectures go to divineinformation.com and probably two or three weeks, sometimes even more, later they're going to be by Torah anytime. We have lectures from three weeks ago that are still not posted over there because the whole system changed. So if you're in a rush to find tonight's lecture, for instance, this lecture will be on tomorrow morning already. You know, if you want to recommend it to someone, by the time you get home, you get up in the morning, it should be there already. It's running all night close to the early morning, it's already posted on the website. Like, yeah. I noticed that your website, you have to download first. No, you don't have to download, you play. You could just play? Yeah, you have to play. Now, it's working, it's working better, my website works better with Internet Explorer. Mm -hmm. In case you don't use, you use the Mozilla. Uh, there's some all kinds of issues this with it. We're trying to fix it. It's 90% fixed already, but uh, the Internet Explorer, it's the best because it's work perfect. You can fast forward. You can do all kinds of things with that that you cannot do with others. In case you don't have, just install Internet Explorer in one minute, and it's going to run much better. You, you can record. You can download. You can just listen, and uh, that's how it's going to be. Okay, let's start. So last week, we are still in Masechet Baba Metzia. Last week, uh, we had uh, the story of Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon. The long story, how he used to turn the thieves into the goyim, and uh, the story with this, with this Jew that came and insulted him. 
He called him vinegar, son of wine. Your father was a wine and you became a vinegar, which means you're not righteous like your father. And we more or less finished the story. Today we're continuing, we're still in Baba Metziah. Amar Rabbi. Rabbi, Rabbi means a rabbi. Usually when you call a person a rabbi, so you say rabbi X, rabbi Y. And a rabbi is a title. When you just call someone the rabbi, without saying his name, that means he's somebody important. You don't even have to bother say his name. It's like saying the president. Don't really need to say who. Just say the president, everybody knows who you're talking about. He was the president. His name is Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. Comes from very important family of David Amelech, King David. And this is the family of Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon, Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon, and then all of a sudden, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi comes from the family, and he was a perfect human being. The Gemara asked, who deserved to be the Mashiach? Who, in our time, if, if God had to choose the Messiah from this generation, who should it be? We are very limited. We cannot take any righteous rabbi, because they are not from the family of King David. They have to be from the family of King David. So from all the righteous rabbis that come from King David's descendants, he's the top of the top which is a very big chacham. He wrote the Mishnah. He concluded the whole Mishnah. He was a very rich person, very rich, much like one of the richest that he had. And uh, all his life he was humbled and he lived Torah. Before he died, the Gemara say he raised his ten fingers and say, Hashem is my witness that I never enjoyed from this physical world even a bit, nothing. Everything I had was not, I didn't care about it, it was all for the public. It wasn't really for me, the house, the servants, all the food, all the poor people coming to eat. It was all built for them. And Hashem knows that I did not enjoy from this world even a bit, which means he reached a very high level. That's, by the way, the proof why JC is not the Messiah. Why is not the Messiah? Because he's not from the descendants of King David. Even though they tried to link him to King David, they were trying to link his father, but then they said that the father wasn't the father. So they messed, the up, messed up the whole story. You know, they bothered very much to prove that Joseph the carpenter is a grand-grand-grandson of King David, and right after that, they said that God was the father, not him. So really, they messed up the whole proof, trying to prove that Joseph is a grandson of King David because you want to link JC to be from the family of of, of uh, David Amelech, King David, and then right after that he said that Joseph really wasn't the father, he was out of town when she conceived. So it's really strange how can you make such a foolish mistake, but this is it, that's how the New Testament begins. For a clever Christian, it takes three minutes to realize right away from the first page of the New Testament that it's all 100% baloney, never been given by God, human error, foolish human error. There are some human errors, that's because you are not a genius. If you're a genius, you wouldn't make that mistake. Well, people make mistakes. But this is a mistake in the level of kindergarten. Take a kid five years old from yeshiva, I wouldn't make that mistake. Trying to link that the father comes from this family and then right after that you write that he wasn't really the father. So what's the point? You understand? So let's move on. So Rabbi says like this, Chavivim Isurim, a person should love the suffering. What does it mean? It sounds like to be a masochist, 
to love the suffering, come and torture me, burn me, break my bones, give me some punches, very nice, I enjoy. No, that's not what it means. It means when God sends you the suffering, you should be very happy that you receive the suffering. Don't run and torture yourself. That's not the point here. But if you got it, then you know it's the best that could have happened in this situation, which means it could have been a lot worse. Hashem sends you suffering right now to cleanse you from all the sins. So why are you complaining? Why are you complaining? You actually... Uh, you're actually uh, basically receiving now the best treatment, the best remedy for your problems right now. And the suffering, what's the whole concept that suffering erases the sins? Hashem couldn't find a different way to erase the sins? Why from all the ways in the world, suffering, all kinds of physical suffering, erase the sins of the person and purify his soul? What's the connection? The answer is, because the obstacle, the main obstacle of the soul being connected with Hashem is the physical pleasure of this life. The physical pleasure, all these illusions, all this fancy-schmancy lifestyle, delicious food, vacations, swimming, sport, this, that, parties, clothing, jewelry, all the things when it keeps the mind of a person attracted to it, then he doesn't have time for Hashem, doesn't have time to learn Torah, doesn't have time to help others, doesn't have time to sit and break his, all his efforts in learning Torah, because he's busy with all kinds of things which is delicious for him. He's looking for delicious moments. So when the suffering comes to the body, such as cancer, uh, all kinds of uh, allergies, uh, you know, whatever, back pain, a person cannot walk, person is, all, all kinds of suffering, it eliminates the need for physical pleasure. Person doesn't have the mind for these things anymore. What's the proof for it? Take a person, tell him you just won the lottery. And a minute, screaming, oh, oh, it's crying. And a minute later say, but we have another bad news. You just have two brain tumor and you have three weeks to live. What happened to the good news about the lottery? <laughs> Better off it will never happen that I leave, no? So the idea is that one tragedy like this, a person doesn't have the mind for movies, for music, for vacation. He has a vacation plan and he just found out he needs a surgery on his spine or that in the next three years he's gonna have to be in bed most of the time because he won't be able to do anything. All kinds of things like this. Right away he loses appetite to all this delicious lifestyle. First thing right now is just to survive, to live. So you see that this, the obstacle is the physical pleasure. Breaking the body takes away this obstacle and connects you, direct connection to Hashem, which is very good. That's why this, this all kinds of suffering that a person goes through, and you see most of the sick people in hospital, I always say, almost everyone is religious. If you don't believe me, Let's go together to York Avenue, to the cancer department, and see what's happening. I come with my black hat, and you see how all the sick people screaming, Rabbi, come, come. Jews, non-Jews, doesn't matter. Their relatives, their fathers outside, their wives, everyone all of a sudden is religious. Why? Because of the situation. You understand? Also, when a person doesn't have money, his life is very bitter, he cannot afford anything, cannot even afford the bus. 
you see that a person like this is connected very strongly with Hashem. Very interesting. When most of the time when a person becomes very religious, he doesn't have time for religion. Sometimes he's embarrassed of Hashem. You gave me so many millions. I don't, I hate to be ungrateful. So I'm going to do it, but really I'm not interested. I just do it because I'm embarrassed from you. You gave me so much. How, after all, how can I be so ungrateful? I know it's all from you. So let me try to do some charity. Let me pray two minutes a day. Let me do a few things, you know, to pretend I'm religious. But really, his heart is not there. His heart is in a golf game, in a vacation, in his yacht, in the next holiday, in the next hotel. That's what he really likes, because he can afford anything he wants. He enjoys so much the moment, supposedly it's an illusion, he doesn't really have time for the truth. He takes his attention from the main goal in life. I spoke to someone today that we used to live here in Queens, he was a genius guy. And he went to Israel, he went to Yeshiva a few months, he met a girl, he got married. Life is expensive, they have to rent a place in Jerusalem, they need, they need money. But uh, I sent him to my Yeshiva on a visit, it wasn't really planned because the Yeshiva is in a very high level and he's far away from that level. But he's such a genius guy that I went, the rabbi who runs my Yeshiva there fell in love with him right away. He saw that everything you tell him, he remembers everything. He has this gift from Hashem. Very, very mathematical brain. Right away, he understands everything. They were learning the laws of Nida. Very complicated laws in Egmara. Arguments, this, that, this kind of blood. That. And he saw that he remembers everything from before his marriage, which was a few months ago, which means somebody prepared him for the marriage. So he taught him the law of Nida, with you and your wife, period, seven clean days, what happened, there's a doubt, or to ask the rabbi, how long, you know, all kinds of things. This is very complicated. So he saw that he remembered everything, one by one, all the terms, all the, from a few months ago, everything. So he told him, how do you know all these things? Where, where did you learn it? You learned in Yeshiva? He said, no, from the preparation for the marriage. He said, from the few days that they prepare you for a marriage, you remember everything? Realize right away it's not a regular person. So come right into the Yeshiva. You, in a year, you're going to get to the level what took people 10 years. So he was there. Then he disappeared. So he told me, where is this guy you sent? Disappeared. We don't know his telephone number. So... As yesterday, the rabbi was telling me, where is he? Mishamayim, today he called. Well, I saw right away, it's a sign from Shamayim. I have to give him, you know, a massive attack to wake him up. So I told him, let me ask you a question. Don't you understand you have a job in life? Every person has his job in life. Everyone according to his special talent. The very wealthy people, their job is to help every good Jewish cause to maintain. They, they need their money. By giving their money, it's count like they are doing the job. You, not rich person, you have a very sharp brain. Don't you understand that your purpose in life is to sit from morning to night all your life and learn Torah and become a very big rabbi one day, that generations will need you? What you can do in a week, other person doesn't do in a month. You know, in five years, it's like 20 years. You're going to learn 10 years, it's like 40 years. So what takes people 40 years, you can do in 10 years. You'll be 30-something years old, going to be a very big chacham. You'll be 50, you'll be gdol ador. What do you think? It's no jokes. Not everyone gets such a head, computer, math, remember number, remember password. He was helping me on my computer. Two weeks later, I see him say, you want me to tell you your password? 
maybe 20-something digits, remember the password. Two weeks later. It's a gift from Hashem. I told him, I don't understand. He said, but Parnassah, Rabbi, my wife, Parnassah, I have to find a job. I said, since you got married, you, ser- you serve your resume to every company. Every normal boss that somebody like you come to an interview should grab you from your ears. Come, come, sit right here. Don't go home. You're starting to work as of now and give you down payment that God forbid you, you know, you won't come back. What's going on? Don't you see that Hashem is blocking the way from you? Every job you go, they're not accepting you. You send your resume, you speak English, you can be a teacher, you can be anything. You cannot get a job. Why is it? Hashem is helping you to direct you in the, your purpose in life. Eventually Hashem will get tired of you. You don't get the point. Fine, go get a job. Become another vegetable uh, selling, uh, selling vegetables in the market. Have a boot, I don't know, work in an office, be a driver, whatever, drive a cab. That's what you think you came to the world for? You didn't come to the world for it. Your job is to focus on the Torah. What do you worry? We'll arrange for you a salary from the yeshiva. And then if you ever need money, you call. We'll help you from good friends in America. They'll send you a few hundred dollars and you survive. Soon, in two years, your wife is going to finish her university. She's going to be a scientist. She's going to make money. And that's it. You'll manage. You can fix people's computer after work. You know, eventually Hashem will help you. First, show Hashem that you want to do the right thing. And then he, he feed the bugs. He feed the elephants. He feed those Indians who bow down to Buddha and get him so angry. And a minute later, Hashem has to send them a million dollars on a diamond deal. Five minutes ago, I was kissing the feet of Buddha, getting Hashem so angry, but still Hashem sent him a million dollars, five minutes on a deal. He got a call. You just sold your diamond. Here, a million dollars has been wired. So Hashem sent all these low lives, money, all these idol worshippers. He's not going to send the most important person in the world, Chacham, sit, with the, watching his eyes, sitting, learning Torah, dedicate his life to make Hashem proud of him. He's not going to send you enough food. So I convinced him. But then two hours later, I had to do the whole thing with his wife. You understand what's going on here? The lack of faith is a cancer in our life. It destroys our life. Mamash destroy everything. You know, the life of a person with strong emunah and a person with no emunah is like two different planets. Here is a nice, calm, down to earth, calm, not, re- not nervous, not worry. Everything is peaceful in his life. And here is a guy who eats his nails, pulling his hair off, driving himself crazy, sweating, phone calls, not sleeping at night, turning in bed, uh, making phone calls like crazy, running from place to place. No, no, no faith in Hashem. Here is a guy said, I'm not worried. Tomorrow I need to pay the rent. I still have five hours. Hashem want to send me the money, send me the money. I'm not the boss of this world. I do what I have to do. So the goal of all this story is like this, the idea. Every one of us has a job. You have to work very hard sometimes to find your main job in life. To keep Shabbat, everyone has to keep. To be modest, everybody. To eat kosher, everyone. You know, to celebrate the holidays, everyone. To put filling, everyone. All these things is obligating everyone. Smart, foolish, rich, poor. There's no difference. But everyone has a special goal in life. And even when you don't see what you can do with your talent, believe me, there's plenty of things that you can do. 
you know, a little computer, you know how many people you can make religious? In my last lecture on Monday, I told the people, I don't understand. A person is sitting, for instance, in a Facebook. To begin with, a kosher Jew should never bother with fame. Why do you need Facebook? You have yeshiva, you have books, you can go and enter in and learn live. But let's say you don't have yeshiva, you're somewhere in Zimbabwe, I don't know. The only way for you to learn Torah is through the internet, through uh, uh, Skype, you know, through camera, whatever, you know, a virtual yeshiva, all these things that they have today. You can learn with people on the screen. The rabbi can see 10 faces on the screen, and he teach, and they understand. You know, there's things like, they, there's all kinds of ways of learning. Or through the Facebook, you see clips, it comes to your phone, you sit in the subway, you put your headphones, you go on the way to work, you're going to Sodom and Gomorrah to bring $100 a day in Manhattan if you didn't get it. So on the way to Sodom, at least you hear one hour Torah, it will help you to watch your eyes in the zoo over there. You have to walk two, three blocks from the train to your office. These two blocks, it's enough to destroy your eternity from what you can see on the streets. So this, all of a sudden, the Facebook can save your life. But my goal was like this. A person is inside, he listens to a 10 minutes lecture who motivates him in following Hashem instruction, but he won't press like. He won't. Egoistic. If he press like, 200 friends of him in the list will get now that video. But he doesn't care about anybody. You have an opportunity to make other Jews religions without, without investing one penny. Without investing a penny, not only you don't have to invest a penny, you don't even have to invest a minute of your time. How long does it take to, pass, uh, to hit a button and send it to all your friends? Same thing in email. You get a good email that can motivate people, wake them up, a story of Ashgacha, a miracle that Hashem did, all kinds of things like this. Why don't you think to give it to another three, four hundred people that you have in your list and maybe two or three of them will wake up and start keeping Shabbat tomorrow? Why do you have to lose even the five minutes or the ten minutes that they listen to words of Torah, multiply by hundreds of people, and they will transfer it to their friends, which will transfer to their friends. It can be thousands of hours of Torah in one second goes to your account. Can it be a bigger fool than that? That you have an opportunity to go like this and earn two, three hundred hours of learning Torah into your account in Shamaim? and you don't do it, imagine what's going to happen when you come to the, to the next world and in your trial, Hashem say, since you already sat next to this lousy Facebook and that was half of your life, at least you could get out of this thing millions of hours of Torah learning. And you're going to ask and say, how, how? Well, millions of hours. I didn't live millions of hours. No, not you. Transfer it to hundreds which will transfer it to thousands, which will transfer it to tens of thousands, and tomorrow again, and tomorrow again. Every day you hit few buttons and send it. There's a way now to spread Torah in a massive way. But you didn't do it. Why? Either because you're not thinking, not because you're egoistic. Maybe you're just not thinking. Or you just don't care about anyone. Nothing. Even about yourself you don't care. Yeah, it's cold, cold as ice. Indifferent. That's the biggest danger. The Yetzirah, the evil inclination, one of the ways he destroyed the person is giving him adishut. You know what it means, adish? 
Adish means you become cold, no feelings, someone died, doesn't care. The rabbi got murdered, eh, doesn't care. Somebody just, uh, they just found out that somebody, um, a father to 10 kids got cancer, doesn't bother him, continue with his business. It's already cold to anything, no feelings. A heart of stone, as the prophet say, when the time come, when Mashiach come, I will take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, which means the heart right now is like a stone, nothing, nobody cares about anything. You hear about yeshiva is about to close because there's no money, you don't care. You have hundred million dollars in your account, you can write a $20,000 check and save them for another two, three months, you don't care. You rather buy yourself, uh, your, your wife a scarf for $20,000 by some kind of French, I don't want to tell you what, designer. Why? Because he has a name on it. So you're going to pay $20,000 from this fair coat or whatever. But you let them, no problem, the yeshiva get close, the children will not have who to teach them Torah, they'll become a drug addict in two, three years on the streets. Nothing bothers you. Just, um, just enjoy, fill up your stomach with sushi and pizza, and that's all you care about. How comfortable and quiet is your car? How strong is your air condition? How, you know, whatever. Everyone with his desires. So Rabbi Yehuda Anasi say, Yisurim, suffering, chavivim. It's very welcome, likable. Twelve years, he accept, he asked Hashem to send him suffering. How many people you know today that pray in Tzfilat 18, Baruch Atah Hashem Shomea Tfilah, we add, give me parnasa, help my children, help this, help my wife, help this, cure my friend. Imagine a person, Shema Koleinu, Hashem Elokeinu, please, my life is too good. Send me some suffering, take away some of my parnasa, you're giving me too much. I'm too healthy, what is this I'm able to run? Make me unable to run, send me horrible pain to my back, send me root canal pain. <laughs> person like this, is kick him out, it's crazy, this guy. But Rabbi Yudan Asid, the ultimate perfect human being, Chacham, genius, billionaire, everyone bow down to him, the master of the land besides Hashem, and he says, send me suffering. It's going too smooth. No, send him suffering. What did he get? A stone in his kidney or gallbladder, something like that. It's hard to understand. And also in his mouth, some kind of sickness in his mouth. And he had a servant who was taking care of his horses, feeding the horses. You know, you throw the straw in front of the horse, they make a lot of noise. It's a big party, like in the bars. You know, and then the goyim sit in the bar on Friday night after a hard week that they sit in the office and do nothing. So now on the way, when they got their $400 a week, what do they do, most of them? Right away, run to the bar, watching some ball. Everyone drink lechaim. And when they bring the beer, everyone scream, oh, you know, oh, life is beginning now. So the horse is the same thing. You put the straw, the, the horses go like this, they make noise. Why Rabbi Udana see? Tells him, every time you hear me screaming, to mucho cerveza, mucho cerveza. Wow, 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 maybe you shut it, just shut it completely. It's probably somebody that was here in a prayer forgot it, so just leave it there, whatever. Anyway, so 
you know, so why say when, when you hear me beginning to scream for my pain, make sure you throw food to the horses. Why? Because I don't want the people that walk by to hear my suffering because then they feel upset that the rabbi is suffering. I don't want to make people upset. Make sure the horses make a lot of noise. Nobody hear my suffering. No. So, you know, the, the servant did everything. And their voice was going away for miles. The voice of the horses screaming when you give them the food, people could hear it for miles away. And still, and still people would hear the screaming of Rebbe from his suffering. They still hear it. Yeah, so... The Gemara saying, but the suffering of Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, are better than the suffering of Rabbi. Why? Because the suffering of Rabbi Elazar came with love and left with love. But the suffering of Rabbi was a punishment. Remember now what we're saying here. There are two kinds of suffering that Hashem sends a person. One suffering is when a person is guilty of a sin. So Hashem wants to clean the sin from his file. So he sends him suffering. He missed the plane. Three more hours sitting in the airport. That's suffering. He lost his cell phone. All kinds of things. He missed his doctor appointment. Now he has to wait another two weeks. This is all suffering. He's stuck in traffic every day. The steak wasn't delicious enough. Depend on the level of a person. Some people suffer from that. So, this is all punishment. The level of this suffering is not very high. It's, it's, it's very helpful, but it's not the highest level. What's the highest level? The highest level is when you are clean. You are not guilty of anything, and Hashem sends you suffering. You may ask, if I'm clean, if I'm not guilty of any sin, why Hashem send me suffering? The answer is, is to triple your reward constantly. You have billion mitzvot, you get one month of suffering, now you have two billion mitzvot. Another month of suffering, four billion mitzvot. And the, and the reward in the next life, which is eternity, is growing higher and higher. This is only if you accept the suffering with love and not complaining. But if you complain, why Hashem is doing it to me? I'm not making sins. Why? I'm not stealing, I'm not cheating, I'm keeping Shabbat, I give tzedakah, I do a lot of good things. Uh, you know, what, what, what else does he want from me? All day I'm in yeshiva, in Torah, I watch my eyes, I'm a good husband, good father. No, what else? Why do I have to suffer? If he complain, doesn't get as much. Get, but not as much. But if he accepted with love, there's no, no word to describe his reward for accepting the suffering with love and understanding. Whatever he gets, the good positive thinking is, Hashem, I know I deserve a million times worse. This is the right approach. Whatever you give me, thank you very much. I know you've been very merciful with me. I know it could have been a million times worse. People don't understand the weight of their sins. That's why they complain. If a person uh, lost a, a diamond thinking it's a glass, he's not upset. He comes to you. 
Yeah, where is the, the, the stone I gave you? I lost it. He smiled. Why do you smile, you fool? It's two million dollars stone. What? All of a sudden, he begins to cry. Why was smiling up to now? He, he, was, he wasn't understanding the weight of his sin. I just lost a piece of glass. My father used to make diamonds. So when I was a kid, he used to bring little envelopes with stones that he was preparing. So, you know, he's taking them, checking them in the house, showing them sometimes to people. They come to the house. So I, sometimes I used to look, I look at that. You know, I see the shining glass. So my father said, be careful. This is $20,000. This is $30,000. Be careful. You know, it's expensive. I said, what? This glass is so expensive? Kid doesn't understand. The kid is innocent. He doesn't understand the foolishness of this world yet. So my father say, you have to say thank you to all these foolish people in the world. Thanks to them, we have, we're making a living. <laughs> Without all these foolish people who runs after diamonds, we wouldn't have a job. Think about it. There's so many foolishness in many, many different fields that create jobs for people. At least something good comes out of it. You know, otherwise, what, what? art, art, $10 million picture, triangle, circle, and a line, $80,000. At least it creates jobs. Somebody has to rent a gallery and inv invite the electrician and the phone company, and it's a chain reaction. It's creating false jobs. One foolishness leads to another. So anyway... When a person lost this, di this diamond thinking it's a glass, he's not upset. He doesn't understand. Ah, but now when he just found out the value of it. Just on Monday, I was in, a, in an office of a diamond dealer. And I went with my friend. And uh, my friend took out a ring. And he gave it to the guy. And the guy was looking at that. I look, I see a pink, pink, very big stone, pink. And it looks like a pink marble. It looks like a piece of marble that broke from a marble in a kitchen. But, you know, so the guy said, you know how much money you just held in your hand? I said, no. I said look at the tag. There's a little sticker. $2,055,000, this ring. $2 million price. <laughs> what is it? A, a, an amazing ruby. Very hard to get. There's only, you know, not that much like this in the world. Then he opened an envelope, he threw on the table, 20, each one, two carat, set, same color. Each one, $100,000. Each, each stone, 20. It's another $2 million. When the situation in a world like this, there are so many thousands of people who struggle to bring bread to their children, so much agony, so much pain, there are so many thousands of Jewish billionaires that that's all they have to do run from one gallery to another, from one jewelry show to another. You understand? And to be rich is a very big responsibility. The rich people have no idea. They're still not even dreaming for the punishment that they are going to get for not handling the money that Hashem gave them in a proper way. They think, I'm the boss. I decide what to do with my money. You tell me what kind of car to drive, you tell me if to fly first class or no? No, I'm not telling you. Hashem tells you. Hashem expects you, instead of sitting and spending $10,000 on a flight because it's a little bit wider, the chair, maybe you take the extra eight 
and, and give uh, to another 20 guys to learn a whole man Torah. What's better, that you sit 10 hours on the way to Israel in a comfortable chair, or that 20 guys would sit all month with this extra $8,000 and learn Torah from morning to night and make more than 10 million mitzvot in the highest level? What's more important, this or this? Or another stupid hat that you bought for another $500, you have already 15. Or every week you change your cell phone because they just came up with a different name. All this extra burning of the money has a price, what do you think? It's a big responsibility. Because you have to understand, if you have a messenger and you give your messenger a bag of cash and tell him, I want you to go to this street and give it to all the poor people on the street, they need food. And the messenger go and buy himself a car. And the messenger say, you tell me what to do. I'm holding the money, I'll do whatever I want. You're not gonna tell me what to do with the money. Ah, here, I have the money, I can burn it if I want. This is exactly how it is. Hashem give them billions, and they think that Hashem gave them the billions to eat another steak every day. And another this, and another that. Every day they invent. Now today I found something new that I didn't know. Every day I find something new. Today I found that there's a guy, another rich guy, that flies to Europe for two weeks. What do I think right away? Vacation. Summertime, people go to vacation. He did not go to vacation yet. His vacation will be in the next month. This is a vacation, but a, a diet vacation. He come to a special luxurious place. They lock him in for two weeks, take away the key, cannot go out, like jail. Jail for very rich people, pay more than $1,000 a day to be there. And they have very little, delicious, healthy supposedly, but very little food. And you lose about 15, 20 pounds in two weeks because you, you cannot control what you eat. It's only what they give you, like in the army. <laughs> what are you going to do? They give you like in a jail. They give you a little plate. Hey, give me more. That's the whole thing. It's like rehab, like drug addict. You lock them in. So people are paying because they cannot control their desire. So they are paying to lock them in that they'll eat less. You understand what's going on? <laughs> this is I found out today. There's places like this. All right, let's move on. So, the story of Rebbe is famous. The reason he got the suffering because the calf was supposed to be slaughtered, and he was trying to hide under his under his coat, and he pushed him, and they slaughtered the the calf, and then Hashem said, why doesn't he have mercy on the animals? Yeah, the animal get killed, that's the, that's the reason that we have cows, we eat them, but still you have to feel bad for them, after all they suffer the pain, no? And you don't feel bad for the animals, you're not in a very high level, you still have to, to work on yourself. Twelve years of suffering, you know? 13 years, I'm sorry, 13 years of suffering. So, 13 years of suffering ended when? When the suffering ended? When he saw the maid mapping the floor and there was little rats and she played golf with the, the rats, boom, and the rats flying. And another one, boom, and, and he comes to her and says, hey, don't you have mercy on the animals? Don't you see that they suffer from this? That moment, the pain went away. 
And I once told you in one of the lectures, right here in a different place, I don't understand. 13 years every day he prays Shachrit, Chatati, Aviti, Pashati, with tears, not like us. This is how a person today makes Vidui. Huh? No? Look at the shul. Go, go, Shachrit, Mincha, see. The guy, like a turbo Ferrari. Before I say three, four words, already finished. Everyone sit down. What happened? It's mitzvah from the Torah, the vidui. The Rambam said, the more you do it, the better it is. It's confession. Confession. Even the Christians copy it from us. Father, I want to confess. 50 bucks. Delete my file. Well, he put it in the back, son. Finished. You know, <laughs> but they got the idea of confession, no? So... So, what's going on here? So, 13 years, he makes vidu, yes. Slichot every elul. Not like us, we think it's a choir. The Miami Boys Choir. A bunch of sinners. Wow, Rabbi, you should see what the slichot. I, I used to know a guy, complete crook. The biggest crook you can think of. He will sell ice to the Eskimos. Their own eyes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I told him, you can sell the Varazano Bridge to the mayor of New York. Convince him it's yours. Such a crook. But this crook is to call me every time, about two, three weeks before Elul. He feels that the slichot are coming. When the slichot starting, I say, next Monday. Don't forget, call me Sunday night to remind me. What time? I say, 6.30. Okay, I come. I used to live in New Jersey, an hour ride almost. I said, what do you mean you're going to come? You're going to be there? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you care about slichot? Rasha kaze, slichot. He said, no, I love it, I love it. He loved the music, beautiful music, melodies, nice. So, you know, but Rabbi Yudan, see when he did slichot, believe me, it wasn't like this. It was real crying. 13 years, every year Yom Kippur. Every year, Yom Kippur, every day he makes tshuva, he learned Torah all his life, he wrote the Mishnah, he gave tons of tzedakah. None of it was enough to take away the pain? What's going on here? What is all this tshuva for? 13 years you suffer, 13 years you cry, you make tshuva. It wasn't enough to take away the pain? What do we see from this? No matter what you're going to do, when you have problems with your personality, with your traits, these only, the punishments will go away only when you correct the root of the problem, nothing else. You pray, 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 it's not gonna help you. Prayers can help you for other things. I need money, help me, find me a job, I need a shidduch, yeah, it's gonna help you. But taking away the pain, Taking away the suffering because you got the suffering from the way you behave. Arrogant, proud, angry, stingy. This is all problems in our personality. If you don't correct it, nothing will help you. You can say we do it from now to next billion years. First, you have to stop being angry. First, you have to stop being stingy. You have to put yourself down. Start enough with your ego and all, everything about you and around you. You want to be the boss, you want to give the orders. I can't stand people like this. The Torah say, 
תועבת השם כל גבל לבב. Every proud person is despicable in the eyes of God. זה verse in התנ״ך. Not מוסר talk. A direct verse inside the Tanakh. It appears at least, at least 30 times. I can give you 30 different פסוקים. Enough, no? 30 times to know that someone with ego and proud and a show off, Mr. Show off, is despicable in the eyes of Hashem. Now I, th- I know what you're thinking. I'm not a Mr. Show off. I don't buy a $10,000 suit. I drive a simple car, you know. You have no idea how much you are Mr. Show-Off. Mr. Show-Off is not only when all your life is for people to see what you wear and what you drive and what kind of watch and what kind of diamond ring your wife has. That's already sick people. That's already below the red line. But even people who don't live flashy lifestyle, they have very strong ego. Why? In a conversation. Conversation. Let's say it's a computer programmer. And you make a comment about a job that he did, that he wasn't perfect, it was 98% perfect. If he gets very offended, that shows that he's not humbled. Humble person never get offended, no matter what you tell him. Horrible job, horrible this, horrible that. Hashem, as long as you love me, I'm okay. What do I care what they say? One Ashkenazi Admor started to praise Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul. If you see the praise that he was giving about him, the light of the world, the, the son of the world, the, the biggest tzaddik, the biggest kvodo, your honor, your majesty, whatever. So Rabbi Sion said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, this is all n- nonsense. Let's hope that they will announce all these things about me over there, not here. Here it's everyone say whatever they want. Yeah, big deal. Over there, I hope they will praise me like this, or even half of it. Over here, who cares what they say? Over here, most of the things people do is what people would think about me. Half of the ballet tshuva, it takes the months to put a yamaka on because what the people will think about me in my office, what my customer will think, what my friends in my public school, you're not cool. What is this? You're 17, you're putting this thing on your head? What is this? You know, oh, it's not cool. So he put a baseball hat, pretending he's Vini or Tony or Jordan, whatever. You know, it's all a show. So he will try to look nice in the eyes of all the losers, but he doesn't care what Hashem is thinking about him. Just to satisfy all these lowlifes who has no direction in life, half of them are drug addicts, complete losers, no values, no nothing in their life. For them, he wants to look okay, cool. But what Hashem thinks about him, ah, Hashem, I'll manage with him, don't worry. This is us, all the time, what they're gonna think, who's gonna get offended, these, uh, my parents, they don't like that I'm too religious. You know, there's one guy in Brooklyn, every day he goes back and forth from Brooklyn to Monsi to learn Torah in Monsi, because he knows he's a different level of Torah than everywhere else. And I say, what, sleep here? We We have a bed for you in Yeshiva, what do you need? Two and a half hours to go, two and a half hours to come back, half of the day in the bus. I said, no, I'm learning on the bus, or if I get a ride, I learn. I said, but what do you need? Stay all week and go for Shabbat. I said, no, my parents don't want me to learn in Yeshiva. They're afraid that I'm becoming too religious. So I say, you cannot convince your parents? I'll call them, I'll convince them. No, 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 it's a sensitive issue. So how much the boy is suffering? And plus, he's not rich. It costs him a lot of money. 
He's paying $30 a day for buses just to go back and forth because he wants to learn Torah. How much he sacrificed this boy? They have off from school now. He takes advantage on every day. You understand? We, we can learn from people like this. Young guy. Go back and forth. You should see his eyes. When he comes from the Shiva, sometimes they give him a ride. I bring him to Queens, and from here he continues to Brooklyn. So let's move on. So remember, there's two kinds of suffering. Suffering that you deserve and suffering that you don't deserve. Suffering you don't deserve, you accept with love, it brings you to the highest level possible. Then the Gemara continues. The Gemara says like this, that the years that Rebbe suffered, the 13 years that he was screaming from pain, nobody died before the right time. Not one person in the land had the punishment to die younger than what he's supposed to. Today, many people die young. Supposed to live to 80, 40, they died. Boom, 60, 50, 20. People die much younger. They lose years of their life. In this year, if somebody deserved to, li to die younger, he didn't die younger because the amount of suffering he was getting was enough for the entire brotherhood of Israel. Everyone benefits from his suffering, not only him. Then the Gemara say, you didn't need rains. All the trees, the vegetables, the fruits, everything, everything, everything was continued to grow and give good fruit, whether there was rain, whether there was no rain, by miracle. What else? The Gemara say, when the farmers used to take the radish, the radish, they pull the radish with the roots, you know, radish comes with the roots. They pull it, there was water coming, like from a spring. Even it didn't rain. There was so much blessing in the land in those years that he was suffering, the president of Israel suffering all this, and everybody else benefits from it. Then, the Gemara says like this, Rabbi came to a place where Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon, lived. Remember, that's the person from last week's story, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He asked, that was after his death. Remember his wife put him in the attic for many years? Okay. So now he asked the people, does he have a son? Which means, does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai have a grandson? They told him, yes, he has a son, a wild beast, his son. Complete secular, making all the sins you can think of. Half of his days by, by the prostitute. And complete far away from the legacy of, the, of, the, of his father and grandfather and all the people that he comes from. This is from the descendants of King David, remember. It's a very important family. So he said, he was looking for him. 
He took someone called Rabbi Shimon ben Isi ben Lakunia, the brother of his mother, which means his brother-in-law. No, his uncle, his uncle, the brother of his mother. And he says, you know, your job is to take this boy and make him, bring him back to good. How did they bring him back? They gave him a job. They made him special. They gave him a lot of attention. They made a special coat for him with gold and everything. And they started to call him Rabbi, Rabbi. And he was saying, no, I'm not interested in this. They gave him a lot of respect. And then slowly, slowly, they brought him back. So the Gemara used this example how to make people close to the Torah. Coming and attacking them fully, 100%, that's not going to work. Just try to be very nice with them also is not going to work. It has to be a combination of everything. In one hand, he, they made him very special. They gave him special clothes. You come from such an important family, etc. Et and on the other hand, they put him to learn Torah and they were giving him Musar, ethics. And basically, after that, the Gemara brings a few more stories of all kinds of kids who went off the way and, the, and how they brought him back to become. Now the Gemara comes. This is the conclusion of all this. The Gemara says like this, Every Jew who teaches Torah to the son of his friend, which means a kid of somebody, stranger, not your son, son of your brother, son of your neighbor, son of your friend, that nobody is teaching him, and you volunteer to take him and teach him. In the next life, he has a special place in a very important yeshiva, in the highest level. Everyone who takes a son of an ignorant Jew, which means even if your father wants to teach him, the father himself doesn't know any Torah. All day sell uh, uh, gold in Manhattan. He doesn't have time to learn. He didn't go to yeshiva. He doesn't know Gemara. He doesn't know Mishnah. He doesn't know Halacha. Nothing. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know how to tell what kosher, what's not kosher even. He doesn't know. So somebody like this, he may want to be religious. He may want his son to be tzaddik. But he doesn't know how to teach him. So the Torah says like this. If you take a boy like this that is not lucky, his father cannot teach him, and you volunteer to teach him, Every decree that God made about somebody, if you want, you have the power to cancel it, to overcome God's decision. Did you ever hear such a thing in your life? Let's think for a minute. You have, God forbid, a person that has horrible decree on him. Horrible. Supposed to go to jail 20 years. A horrible surgery, life and death. Cancer, who knows what? Can be millions of tragedies today. And Akanosh Baruch Hu already signed on Rosh Hashanah about that tragedy, signed. And that person who teach Torah to other people has the power to overcome God's decision. How, how is it possible? Well, since when a person can be stronger than God? Every decree Hashem make, mevatla bishvilo. Hashem agreed to cancel it for the sake of this righteous person. Why? Because if this righteous person got involved, 
Okay, for him, I put it on hold. That's why the Torah says when a person has a sick person in his house, before he runs to the doctors, before the appointment, before the MRI, before the CAT scan, before all of that, just when you don't feel good. Nobody knows still what you have. It may be migraine, it may be cancer, nobody knows. Don't run quickly to the doctor, doctor emergency, I have to come, I'm, my head exploding. First thing you run to the kosher rabbi, but the kosher one, not the babot. Watch my last lecture about the babot, you understand. Oh, actually it was in Hebrew. I think we have one in English also. The danger of all this fake babot. But a real kosher one. Someone you know is humble, learning Torah, no jokes, live simple life, give instruction to people, not running after your money, etc., etc. You run to him and cry to him about your problem, your chances to recover before you even know what you have is a thousand, thousands of percents higher. Nobody guarantee you anything. Maybe it's for your own good to leave this world. Not, not every debt is bad, depends where you go, of course. If Hashem wants to send you now to heaven, why should he cancel his plan? You know, the righteous person doesn't know where you go. He hardly knows you. Hashem knows you. Hashem knows if you go to heaven or to hell, chas v'shalom. So if he wants to put you right now in a very good place, even if the whole world will pray for you, it won't help. Why? Because they pray for something bad for you. They think they try to help you by keeping you alive, but really, they are praying for something that is bad for you. Because if you die right now, you go to heaven. If you live another three years, maybe you lose everything. Maybe in the last minute you do something, you lose all your mitzvot. Who knows what kind of sin you're going to make. And then lose everything. Right now you have it in your hand. Why to live? Why to jeopardize everything I earned? So he says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is cancelling it from him. Shenemar, how do we know it? Im totzi yakar mizolel... If you take the negative out of the bad people, you bring them back to religion, you teach them Torah, you make them human beings, you make them religious, you make them faithful to Hashem, etc., etc. Your mouth become my mouth. If you want to know where it is, Gemara in Baba Metzia. And then the Gemara say. Amar Rabbi Paranach, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, kol shu talmid chacham, someone that is a, is a smart scholar, knowledgeable, knowledgeable, smart, you can born smart. Knowledgeable, it's a matter of earning, how much efforts you put, the more you put, the more you know. He is knowledgeable scholar, and his son is a knowledgeable scholar, and his grandson, three generations in a row, all of them are big rabbis, from now on, it's a certainty that all their descendants until the end of the world will all be blessed. Three, three generations in a row. You hear? Three generations. That's called chazaka. Chazaka. You know what chazaka is? Uh, when a person comes to, come to give a lecture in a shul, first time he has no rights. They can kick him, say, no, we didn't like you, goodbye. Second time, they can kick him. After the third time, he already gained some rights according to the Torah. If he ever got to Beidin, he has some rights. I don't want to start explaining what rights, but that's already called that he has position in a place. It's called chazaka. 
If a person did a mitzvah, he accepted on himself a chumrah. It's not an obligation. But he say, I'm going to do above the necessary obligation. I want to do more for Hashem. And he did it three times. For instance, he can accept Shabbat in sunset. Sunset today, it's 8.15. So 8.15, from 8.15 on, he must keep Shabbat. But he said, no, I want to pray early at 7 and finish the davening, which means by around 7.30, when we get to Kabbalat Shabbat, for me, it's Shabbat already. I accept Shabbat early. If he did it three weeks in a row, if he did it two weeks and stop, one week and stop, two weeks and stop, if he did it three times in a row, if he wants to stop, he needs hatarat nedarim. He needs three people to see it and read a special thing from the Sidur, like they canceling, dismissing the vow, the vow. What vow? He did not make any vow. Repeating something three times, when you actually volunteer to do something three times, it's called already chazaka. Chazaka means certainty. It means after three times already, it's going to be routine. So same thing here, three generations in a row like this, then you have already this special blessing of certainty that everybody else will be like this. How do we know it? This is the verse. The wor my words that I put in your mouth, Hashem said, will not remove from your mouth and from the children, or from the mouth of your children, and the children of your children will not remove from your mouth and from the mouth of your children and from the mouth of your grandchildren. Three generations, that's it. From from the end of the verse, from now to eternity. If it's three generations in a row, then you know that that's it. You are set for life all your children, which means everyone that his children are not, that means his father or his grandfather wasn't perfect. If he was perfect, if your father and your grandfather was perfect, you have a special protection. Who say it's not important who to be born to? Very important, who's your father? People think, ah, I wasn't lucky, my father is not rich. I was born to the wrong father, he cannot afford anything. That's not what you have to worry about. You have to worry if you're born to a righteous father and to a father of, his grandfather was righteous. I'm your guarantor, that you have now special protection not to sin, not to be in a disco of Manhattan. Why? Because your father and your grandfather were holy, three generations, you are set. Time is running out. For the next few minutes we have, the Gemara says Rabbi Yochanan was sitting in the gate of the mikveh. Rabbi Yochanan was a very handsome man and did not have, naturally his beard wasn't growing. Some people, their beard don't grow, they have a baby face. And uh, all the women who used to go to the mikveh, the night that they have to go to the mikveh, automatically see him sitting by the entrance, learning Torah, sitting by the mikveh. Why was sitting by the mikveh, not inside the yeshiva? Because he wanted all the women to look one second in his face on the way into the mikveh. And it's a special blessing that the babies that will be born in nine months from now will be handsome. So one thing, for here we learn a few things. One, that to be handsome, it's a gift. It's not a curse. Even though for some people it destroyed their life. Because they were always busy with their look, you know like this, all this thing. 
bathroom in and out in the middle of the day 15 times. That wasn't the plan, right? To be pretty to your husband, why not? The Gemara says three things make a person happy. Nice house, nice utensil, nice plates, nice furniture, and a beautiful wife. It makes a person happy. It's not, in, not an embarrassment to ask for a pretty wife. It's not a crime. No, we didn't come to the world to torture. No, no, no. F find me a wife that is just like a monkey. If not, I don't want to get married. No, no obligation. You have to love her. That's why in Judaism, you're not allowed to marry your wife before you see her and you like her. If you don't like her, if you still didn't see her, or if you saw her and you don't like her and you force yourself, it's a sin. It's not a mitzvah. Because it's guaranteed to have problems later on. And don't ever be influenced by all kinds of matchmakers who tell you, don't worry, don't worry, the love will come later. Go, go, she's a righteous girl, marry, marry her. Or it's a righteous guy, learns to all day. What else do you want? Where are you going to find a guy like this? But I'm not attracted to him. It's suffering to be with him. It's not, you know, there's no, no connection, no physical connection. Maybe spiritual, but it's not enough. You need both. Usually, 90% of the time, it never comes out. It's only become worse. And don't let people run the world and the life for you. You understand? You have to be very careful. They have their own mind. First, they want to close the shidduch. For them, they think it's a mitzvah to force one on top of the other. Plus, they want to make commission. It's good commission, no? Both sides going to pay them this. It's very good business. You know what shatchan means in Hebrew? Don't get the wrong impression. There are many, many righteous shatchanim that do it for the sake of heaven. You don't pay them, they're also happy. As long as they made a good shidduch and they give you the right advice and they're honest. But some are not like this. Not everyone is like this. Shatchan means shin, sheker, daled, dover, chaf, Kesef, nun, notel. Sheker, dover, kesef, notel. Translation, lies, talk, money, take. <laughs> you know the joke that I once said? One guy, he called up uh, one of the students. He said, listen, I have a girl for you. You'll never have to worry for the rest of your life. Your dream is to learn Torah all your life, right? So of course. Her father is a rich guy. He will take care of all your needs. He's willing to give an apartment, a car, allowance, everything. Wow, great. You think she would want me? Say, so, wow, I already talked to her about you. She's already, she locked. That's it, I locked her up. But there's one minor problem. What is it? She's a little crippled. When she walks, listen. Nobody pays attention. Now when I tell you, you're going to pay attention. But it's hard to know. Plus, you know, make sure you walk slow, nobody will see. When she walks fast, you can see. But you're going to be a rich guy. Don't have to worry. You sit all your life and learn. So the guy says, okay, well, you know what? It cannot be perfect. Okay, I'll take it. Then he said, but there's one more thing. He said, what else? He said, you know... Uh, she's a hunchback a little bit. You know, she cannot stand straight. I don't know what happened. There's some kind of a problem with the spine. But don't worry. Anyway, she'll dress very modest. She cannot see it. You're the only one who will notice that. Okay, now he comes to the chupa. Everyone stand over there. 
So he comes to him and says, Rabbi, who is she looking at? Me or you? Don't you see she's a cross eye? I'm confused. One eye to the left, one eye to the right. He said, you can speak loud anyway. She doesn't hear. She's deaf. <laughs> okay, anyway, now he got married. He said, okay, no, what can I do? At least I can learn Torah. I close my eyes when I come home. No? So the next day, she gets up in the morning. She says, what are you doing here? Nine o'clock, is still home. Sitting like this on the couch, reading newspaper. Go quickly, find a job. He said, what do you mean find a job? Your father is a multimillionaire. No, he gave an allowance. What kind of multimillionaire? My father is a bus driver. He doesn't have a penny. He called up the Shatran. He said, what did you do to me? He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get upset. I told you that she's a hunchback? Yeah. I told you she's crippled? Yeah. I showed you that she's a cross-eyed? Yeah. I even told you that she's deaf? I was... So one thing I didn't tell you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the story of the Shiduchim. In Hebrew, we say, I'm a vin yavin. Yeah. Not everything that looks pink, it's really pink. Anyway, so uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yochanan said, we learn from here two things. One is when, what the wife looks when she comes out of the mikveh. The first face that she sees, it's a sgula if the baby will be handsome or ugly. If she comes and she sees a monster taxi driver, don't be surprised. But if she sees a handsome face, oh, it's a sgula, the baby would look good. That's one thing. Second thing is, second thing is, so we learn two things, that beauty, it's not a curse, it's a gift, beauty, right? The Torah says, Beautiful look. Why the Torah praise the ladies that they're pretty? Why? If it's a bad thing, the Torah should say, well, she has a problem. She's too pretty. The Torah praise it. But the Torah also warn not to make it the main thing in life. That's already going to be a poison. If that's become your priorities in life, just beauty, external beauty, and not the spiritual inside, then you have a serious problem. But if it comes as a tip, as a bonus to your life, why not? Enjoy so, one thing is that what the person see influence his babies, the woman. Influence the baby. That's why a woman has to be very careful what she goes to. I want to say when Rivka was walking, every time she walked next to a holy place, Yaakov wants to come out. Every time she go in a place of idol worshiping, Esav wants to come out. He's wicked from birth already. It's a Gilgul of a wicked person already. Some people, they become wicked in this life term. Some people are already born wicked from their previous life. Esav is wicked from the first minute that he came out to the world. He did not become wicked later. He was already wicked. Sometimes you ask, how come a righteous person has a wicked son? Where did he learn to be such a criminal? Drug addict, this. Dressed completely like a secular, no keeper on the street, two o'clock at night, who knows where he go, go to the theater, watch dirty things. And you look at his father and mother, you can't believe it. Wow, such righteous, humble, down, modest people, and, and they have such a monster son. How can it be? Many people do not get the right conclusion. The conclusion is as follows. 
because they are righteous, they got that wicked boy. Hashem has many wicked Jews that he wants to give them another chance to correct their soul. Where is he going to send them? To, to be the children of the drug addict in Manhattan? To be the children of the rapist? To be the children of Michalele Shabbat that have no idea from Torah? Over there, they're going to be able to correct their soul? There's no chance to begin with. He has to send them to these important rabbis that they will see the right lifestyle, they will get the right background, they will get the right Torah knowledge, they will see all their siblings, all kosher people, and now if they don't make tshuva, when they come to their next trial after they die, there's no more excuses. I put you in a house of the biggest rabbi in the world. It still did not make you any better. It's still the same Esav. Your father was Yitzchak. Your brother is Yaakov, Jacob, one of the three fathers, a holy man. Holy man, didn't waste a drop of seed until age 86. One, how many people like this you have in the world, if any? A holy person. And your mother Rivka, your grandfather Abraham. You are from the most important family of the world. And what are you? A murderer, a rapist, an idol worshiper, all day hunting on a, on a field like a monster. That's what you. What are you going to say? Hashem, it's not fair. I was born in San Francisco. How, how, did, how was I able to learn Torah? My, my parents, you know, it's not exactly from the yeshiva world. I was born in a village of Manhattan. I was born in Zimbabwe, in the middle of the forest, with the people from the islands walking naked all day. You want me to be Shomer Shabbat? What, what chance did I have? But now Hashem says, no excuses, my friend. You're born in Yerushalayim, you're born in Monsi, you're born in Williamsburg, you're born in Bnei Brak. You get to the best atmosphere around you. You still wanted to be wicked and follow your desires. Don't make me any excuses. You understand? So don't be surprised. The father can be an angel, the son can be a murderer. Because he was born a murderer from a different life. Hashem took a murderer and put him in your house. And this is your tikkun, to raise him. And you get rewarded for it. Don't worry, you're not doing it for free. But you have to devote all your life for it. If Hashem gave you this responsibility, what do you think, it's a joke? Ah, well, I don't care about this boy. I have other ones that are good. I don't care, whatever happened with him, happened. So, they ask Rabbi Yochanan, you're not afraid of Ayn of an evil eye? Every woman see your beauty, they put an evil eye on you. God forbid something can happen to your beautiful face. He said, no, I'm from the family of Yosef. The blessing that Joseph got from his father Yaakov, that you'll be protected from Ayn Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Ale Ayn. No, evil eye cannot damage me. Otherwise, of course, I would be afraid. So another thing we learn here, that Ayin Ara affects everyone, doesn't matter how righteous you are. It can be Rabbi Yochanan, Mechayemetim, reviving the dead from the grave, and you can die from Ayin Ara. Power of evil eye. But if you come from the family of Yosef, nobody knows today from what tribe he is. But then, back then, people knew. They knew their uh, genealogy. And if you are from the family of Yosef, you are well protected. Then, we must, this is the last page, we'll finish it and we're done for today. The Gemara says like this. One day Rabbi Yochanan was swimming in a lake. 
Now, he has peot, long peot. He doesn't have a beard. He has very pretty face. From far away, it looks like a beautiful model. Rabbi, I was working by the lake. You know this famous, beautiful face swimming in the lake. What does a criminal that walks by and he see a woman in the middle of the lake and nobody's there, what is he doing? Pretending he came to, to swim, to practice. He wasn't planning to swim. He was going to sell vegetables. He, forget about the vegetables. He, he, he leaves his horse to die. Right away, jumping, swimming. Then Rabbi Yochanan turned around. He see this Shimon ben Lakish, the criminal. Up. The head of the gangster in the neighborhood is next to him swimming. Come on, I'm not a fool. I wasn't born today. You thought I'm a woman, right? Admit. He say, yeah, what a, what a turn off. All this, I swim like this, and now I found that you're a man. Well, today it's not even a problem anymore with the corrupted world. But back then it was still a problem. So he say, wait, 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 don't go. Don't go. I have a sister million times prettier than me. We're pretty family. It's in the genes. If you promise me you become Baal Shuva and religious, I'll convince my sister to marry you. I want you to come tomorrow. You come, you learn with me Torah. The most important rabbi in the world, with the biggest criminal in the world, gonna learn tomorrow Hevruta. Go to the chief rabbi in Israel, tell him, Rabbi, I have somebody to learn with you Hevruta. You have an opportunity to make him religious. Who? You bring him your cousin, earring, earring ear, five tattoos here, tattoo here, this. His belly is outside. All his back is down, the, the jeans. Walks with, the, with his cracks like this, tons of gold, cigarette, or something else. And he come, Rabbi, come. Learn with him tomorrow in your yeshiva. <laughs> the rabbi said, do me a favor. Don't come to my shul anymore. <laughs> You're bringing me this key. Please, please, find yourself another shul. <laughs> but he said to him, not only come to learn with me in my shul, in my yeshiva, I'll marry you to my sister. You'll be my, my brother-in-law. So what happened? He said, really, Rabbi? You're going to do it? Or are you fooling me? He said, no, a word is a word. You back tshuva, I'll marry you to my sister. So, okay, I'm coming. Now he turned around, he wants to swim back to the land, he couldn't swim. <laughs> Rabbi, help me, I'm drowning. The Gemara said, what happened? When he saw him from far, the best swimmer, one, two, three, up, he's there. Gold medal in the Olympic Games. Now he has to swim back, cannot move. The Gemara say, when a Jew announced in his mouth, I'm coming to learn Torah, I'm coming to the lecture, the problem begins. Telephone. Oh, your, your sister-in-law have to give birth. Come, come, come. There's a flood. Come, you know, help us to get the water. Oh, the, you missed the cab. This, the neighbor. Problem. Your wife going crazy with the kids. Help me. I need help. Where are you going? I have to learn. Problems. The satan go crazy. This guy with the earring is going to yeshiva now. Ooh, I'm going to lose him. He was my soldier until now. I use him for all the sins in the world. Now he want to move to the positive side. He does everything to prevent. And he doesn't have strength anymore. Why? Before you even started to learn, just you're thinking, I'm going to learn, all your energy is gone. Torah matisha kocho shel adam. There's something in learning Torah that takes away all your energy. 
And if you don't believe me, I'll take you to my yeshiva in Yerushalayim, and you see that the people that finish after three and a half hours of learning deep subjects, they cannot get up from the chair. Cannot get up. Can't get up on his knees, like this already. Cannot move. I know my cousin. Three days on the bench. He wasn't moving from the bench. He couldn't get up on his feet. Many times they took him with the ambulance to the hospital because they thought he's dying or something. Why? Gave his life for the Torah. Once you're in it deep, that's it. It's like you're already not in this world. Your soul is having the best pleasure you can imagine. Nobody here ever tasted one millionth of this pleasure. Can only taste it after you show Hashem that you give your life for it. Then Hashem opens you more light and more light and more light until you feel, you know, like Lehavdil, all this drug addict. Rabbi, I saw Eliyahu Navi. That was just a dream, my friend. Over here, it's real. It's a real achievement. So he cannot, he cannot swim back. Finally, he somehow made it. He started to come to Yeshiva. I'm making a long story short. He was a very sharp person. Slowly, slowly he became. Rabbi Yochanan says something. He attacks him with many questions. And he married him, his sister. And one day Rabbi Yochanan came to the yeshiva very upset. What happened today? He said, I was mugged by the gangster on the street. He said, what happened? They stole my wallet. You had money there? He said, yeah, I had money. He said, hold on, sit here, let me go take care of it. He was the head of the gangster in the past. He went to the street. Hey, you, come here. You know who I used to be, right? I didn't forget. I give you one hour to return back the wallet of the rabbi before you know what's going to happen. No, no problem, Shimon. Give me five minutes, I'll, I'll check. I make a few phone calls. <laughs> Somehow they always know to find. Five minutes later, the wallet was back. But when he, when he didn't have his wallet, he couldn't learn Torah. I want to ask you a question. We'll finish with this here, yeah, two, min two minutes. Let's use our head. I know many people today that even if on the way to yeshiva they lose their wallet, 100, 200, 500 dollars, they'd be upset. As soon as they start learning, they don't even remember. They just lost their wallet an hour ago. The biggest rabbi in the world, Rabbi Yochanan, the biggest in the world, he lost his wallet. How much money was in his wallet? How much a person carry? One, according to today, 200, 300. How much? Big deal, so you lost your wallet. You cannot learn Torah, you're upset? Until they give you back the wallet? Ah, now I can learn. What's going on here? No, what's the secret here? He was thinking that he has some kind of sin. Chazaku Baruch. You heard it in my lecture. He doesn't worry, but, you, but at least you're humble enough to admit. You don't make yourself a show off. You see, something already good coming out of the lecture. Very nice. Yes, that's the answer. The answer is, he's not worried about the money, bichlal, even if it was $5. If I lost a penny, that means I was guilty of something. Maybe I cheated somebody by a dollar or five or ten or a hundred, whatever it was. The amount is just showing you how much you're guilty of. You lost a thousand dollars, that means you were guilty of something that worth a thousand dollars. You cheated, you stole, you didn't pay your landlord, you tricked, you tricked him, you told him there was a leak, it wasn't really a leak, you made the leak, you, you, you make insurance fraud, 
there was a damage from before and you pushed it into the deal. You know, a lot of tricks. All kinds of things like this. That means you're guilty of something. And Hashem now took it away from you. That's what he's upset about. All my life I'm so careful never to owe anyone a penny. And now they mugged me? That means I made a sin. Cannot learn. He made a sin, he cannot learn. But when he got back the wallet, he said, Ah, oh, it was only a test. I'm clean. Now I can learn. Not about the money, come on. Every beginner doesn't care about the wallet. There was no credit card, driver's license, passwords, nothing. Maybe there was a few, few coins in a wallet. That's all. Bottom line, he became one of the biggest rabbis in the world. Rish Lakish, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. Everything Rabbi Yochanan say, he has 24 kushiot, 24 questions to attack him and prove him wrong. When he died, when he died, Rabbi Yochanan lost 10 or 11 of his children. I have to see if it was 10 or 11. And the last one who died, imagine all your boys dying, God forbid, one after the other. He was learning Torah as usual. He buried another boy coming right back into the yeshiva after the shiva. Bury another one, bury another one. The last one, he took a tooth from his mouth and he was going to comfort people who lost their children. How he was comforting them? He said, you lost one, I lost 11. Take it easy. Soon you're going to join together in the next eternal life. Why do you worry so much? That's how he was cheering them up. The Gemara say 11 of his children die in all kinds of sicknesses, and he did not become crazy. When Shimon ben Lakish, this ex-criminal that became his body, his chevruta learning years with him Torah, when he died, everyone who came to replace him was not even 10% of his level. So Rabbi Yochanan couldn't learn anymore. He didn't have anyone to make his learning great. He went crazy. He lost his mind because he couldn't learn anymore in the same level. And the rabbis was praying to Hashem to take him away from this world. And then he, then he passed away and that's the end of the story. Which we see when a person is in a very high level in a Torah, very deep, tragedies basically cannot even touch him. He understands that's a part of life. We are going to the next station. We'll meet again. But when he lost his Torah learnings, he couldn't live. Couldn't live. We don't feel it. We can go a month without learning 10 minutes, playing with the flowers, playing here, cutting the grass, going to the mall, doing this, driving, nothing, news, computer games. <laughs> so I didn't learn today. We're off now, summertime. Why didn't you come to the lecture, Simcha? We had a birthday party. Why didn't you come to the lecture, Moshe? It was uh, the 20th anniversary of the brother of my uncle. Yeah, the reason I hear, it was an NBA game. Rabbi, but it's only the championship. Usually I come, you know, but today, this week I cannot come. Special games. They'll make the million and he loses Olam Abba. Huh? Nobody think. Bezrat Hashem. No. 
Remember, Monday is different schedule, 8 o'clock, uh, Bet Gavriel, it's Arvit, with a special prep for Tisha B'Av, and right after that, a lecture. And if you want to know some of the laws of Tisha B'Av, I have a lecture already in my website from last night. It's already on. You can watch it. It was in Briarwood, giving you some ideas about Tisha B'Av. Thank you very much. Baruch Adonai Lo'olama.